Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend, Chabruta Aaron Gordon. Our DAP today, Masafet Ketubot, DAP Zion, page seven. Well, I'm excited because we have a little bit of a good who's who, or at least I think it's a good who's who. Um, and the Gemara is in the middle of its rather lengthy discussion about whether one is allowed to have, uh, you know, their first sexual act uh, with their virgin bride on Shabbat or if they're not. And so they go through a variety of Amurayim about whether or not they allowed it, whether they themselves practice that on Shabbat. It's, it's a lot. Okay. But if we get to the statement by Rav Papa on Amur Aleph, we see the following. Rav Papa Mishmei Rava Amar. So Rav Papa said in the name of Rava, the Yom Tov Shari, right? That according to Rav Yehuda, uh, and again, I, I sort of jumped in the middle of a discussion here, on Chag, on a festival, it's permitted to have this first sexual relationship in marriage. The Shabbat Asir, but for Shabbat, it's Asur. So Rav Papi said to Rav Papa, Right? So so he's trying to figure out what's your thinking about this. Is it because the wound, right, from that sexual act is permitted on a festival? Because Because we allow a wound to be permitted on a festival when it's for food preparation? Right. And since we allowed wounds to be done for food preparation, we just sort of allow all types of wounds. Right. So Shehutra Chabura Litzorach. Right. We allow wounds, Chaburas for uh, for the need for food. Hutra Nami So maybe we just in general, we allow wounds to be made on 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 Chag. Elame Atza. Right. If that's so, Mutar Lasud Mugmar Biyomtov. One would be allowed to make incense. That's what Mugmar is. Because you're allowed to light a fire to make food, and therefore, and therefore, we would allow uh, somebody to actually make, uh, you could make basically a fire when it's not for food preparation. But we know that you're not actually allowed to burn incense on Shabbat. So his point is, is to say, if your line of reasoning about why something might be allowed on Shabbat, on Yom Tov, excuse me, is because under certain circumstances, that action is allowed. And so therefore we just allow that action, whether it's Litzorach, whether it's not Litzorach. Amrle, so Rav Papa answers him, right, for you, right, the verse states when talking about a Chag, and this is a Pasuk from Shmot chapter 12, verse 16, right, so save, it means save that which every person must, must eat, right, so this is the Pasuk that's allow, allowing us to cook or to prepare, prepare food on Shabbat. So what that means is it has to be a matter that's equal for all people. In other words, we consider something with when all people would need it. And incense, right, is only burned by people who are sort of like, you know, have particular needs. They need their room to smell well or something like that. It's not used by everybody. And that's why it's not permitted. It's not an issue. Of, it, it is an issue of tzorach, but it's not a universal tzorach. And But whereas bia, right, whereas intercourse, that's universally practiced. So then it goes on. It says, Amr le ravacha bere de rava le ravashi. So ravacha, the son of rava, said to ravashi, elame atta. So, right, maybe this is the better case. Niz daman lo biyom tov. Let's say, so we know that uh, with yom tov, you sort of have to like designate your animals or, you know, you can check your animals on Yom Tov. But let's say a deer 
happens to like wander into your yard on Yom Tov, okay? The question is, are you allowed to prepare that deer on Yom Tov? Because deer is not really a normal food. It's sort of a delicacy, right? Not, it's not like a nor, it's not like shechting your cow. So maybe one would say that it's not shavelachol nefesh, the same thing as the incense, right? So maybe you actually should be prohibited from killing this deer, right? Amar So Rav Ashi answers, But he said, no, when I said that it has to be a need for every person and deer meat, right, is meat that, yes, it's hard to get, but it's like everybody would eat it. Right? And incense, even when it's available, not everybody would use it. But deer, pretty much, if you could get your hands on venison, you're going to eat it. And then we have, uh, you know, here it says, Amar Rav Yaakov Bar-Idi. So Rav Yaakov Bar-Idi says, Hora Rav Yochanan B'Tzaydan. So Rav Yochanan issued a ruling in the city of Tzaydan. Asur Lib'o B'Tzchilat HaShabbos. It's prohibited to have sexual relationships with your virgin wife for the first time on Shabbat. And so the Gemara asks the questions with is, is there a ruling issued to prohibit an action? In other words, this language of right, is usually used to like really establish a ruling, right? Um, and, and, and even something that's, usually it's something that is uh, uh, to do something uh, uh, like, in other words, when you're going to do something that's machmer, I'm, I'm not sure I'm explaining this well, right? You you can issue it even if you don't necessarily have a good read, read, uh, reason for it. When we talk about doing a makel ru- ruling, it can only be done if it was, like, clearly established by the chachamim or, uh, or by tradition. And so what they're questioning here is this language here of a ho-ra, that he issued a ruling this isn't sort of the typical scenario where you would have a hora, where there sort of would be, it's not, a t- this isn't the type of ruling to say you have a hora, that it's a sore leave obits chilat hashabas, right? And so the Gemara now brings an, an example where we see this, we say, in, yes, this language can be used for a more machmir ruling, right? Bahatnan, okay, so in other words, sorry, so let me back this up. Usually a hora is used for a mekel ruling, not for a machmir ruling. And this is a machmir ruling. So the question is, when else do we see that the word hora, like a proclamation is used for a machmir ruling? Because a machmir ruling, it's not a big deal. You can always be machmir, sort of. But to say it's a hora, to say it's like a real proclamation, that language is unusual. Because really a proclamation comes when you want to be lenient about something. That's when we talk about paskining halacha, the chiddushes, right? What's really innovative is when you can say something is mekel, not when you can say something is machmer, when it's more stringent. So they quote now a Mishnah from Nazir, which we will get to soon, on Daf Yutet on 19b. So this is one of these great examples in the Gemara that they quote one line from a Mishnah. And if you were to just read the English translation, you literally would not know what was going on. Like you have to use the Mepharshim. Because literally what it says is, Beit Hillel issued a ruling that she shall be a Nazir for seven additional years. Now, who's the she? What is this talking about? <laughs> so, like, like I'm just giving context. Like, there's an assumption here. Like, you know what this Mishnah means. So, here's where we'll do our who's who. So, we're talking about Queen um, Helene or uh, uh, Hel- uh, Helene Hamalka, right? Um, and basically, what happened is 
Helene Hamalka, her son went to war and she basically took a vow. She made a neder that she would be a Nazir for seven years. Okay. And the question was, could she fulfill that vow when she was in Chutzla Arts, when she wasn't in Eretz Yisrael? And so Beit Hillel made a ruling that actually when she came back to Eretz Yisrael, she needed to do another seven years. Now, the point is, is that this was a hora'ah, this was a ruling, a proclamation, a teaching that was machmer, that was being more stringent. And so here we have another example where that word of hora, right? Here is horua, right? It's in the plural here because it's Beit Hillel, uh, was to rule something more stringently. So who was Helene Amalka just to do like a little bit of who's who of hers. So she basically uh, became a queen. She was a queen around the beginning, around maybe 30 CE. She was married to uh, Munabazus, uh, who was a Adabian king. Um, and what's interesting about her is, is that uh, Josephus in antiquities talks about her a lot. Um, and that's really sort of the main piece of where we get information about her. So she was basically the mother uh, of, uh, of, uh, of a god, like of a younger son, and she protects him, um, Isaides, and she protects him from his older jealous brothers by sending him to another king. And basically, uh, when, uh, when her son was there, there was a sage, a chacham named Hananiah, who came and basically got her to convert to Judaism. Um, and then there was another sage, Elazar, who got her son to convert. So they basically both uh, convert to uh, both convert to Judaism and they embrace Judaism. So part of what makes her interesting is she's like this non, she's a non-Jew who basically, uh, who basically converts. And so Josephus talks about all of this, like just Google her, you know what I mean? Like, you know, let's be honest, that's where I got most of my information from as well. Um, you know, that she, uh, there was all this palace intrigue of how she kept her son in power um, and things like that. But part of what Josephus talks about is, is that she makes this pilgrimage um, to Yerushalayim around 46 to 47 CE. Um, and she uh, apparently uh, buys the Jews of Yerushalayim grain and tries to get them figs from Egypt and basically tries to, um, to feed them. And, and I think you told me in 2009, 2007, they may have actually- 2007. Found, 2007, they actually maybe found her palace or what they believe to be her palace in Ir David. But what's interesting- We're about near, her, near Ir David. Near Ir, Ir David. But what's interesting is, is she's spoken about a lot in rabbinic literature. And there's a few episodes. So one was we actually learned in uh, Masech and Yoma and Mishnah Yoma that she donated a golden lamp uh, to the Beit HaMikdash um, and also a plaque that had on it the psukim about the sota, about you know the, the adulterous wife. Uh, here we have this thing, it's also, it's the Mishnah Nazir that we'll talk about later on, where she made this vow to be a Nazir, and she had to do it actually for 14 years. And then we also learned about her in Sukkah, she was actually uh, in Sukkah, where we remember we talked about tall Sukkot, and she had this tall Sukkah that was over uh, 20 amot high, and the rabbis, you know, the rabbis still sat in it. Um, so just, that's it, it's a good who's who to know about. But in terms of the context of what we read about, again, Wait, I want to just add something, Yudin, oh, if sorry. I may. One of the things that her rise to power, you know, tells us about that era is a little bit how complicated the the royalty, you know, the monarchy was at that time. 
and how complicated even the fact that the rabbis would sit in her sukkah, right? Does that mean that her sukkah was kosher? Maybe, maybe that's what it means. And maybe it means that she's the queen and, you know, there's a certain amount of political jockeying or whatever that has to go on. Um, I think the fact that, you know, the convert rises to power and we know about Hordus, right? King Herod also complicated, you know, Jewishly complicated. Um, this was a, like a messy, messy era for Judaism, for religious Jews, whatever, however you want to describe what's going on, it's kind of pre-Talmudic, right? It's pre-Mishnaic even, or that just these are some of the sages of the Mishnah, and it's it's messy. Yeah, it's messy, but I think it's so fascinating to see how rabbinic literature records, you know, you know, sort of her intersection with halacha as right, Jew, right, right, and so that's what we're seeing here, and the fact that they even bring this episode. Like this was a yes, she converted to Judaism, but in other words, like this was a halacha about a, a queen who converts to Judaism, and the Mishnah is so strong in that teaching that they're using it as an example of where the word harak could be used for a stringent teaching for a more machner teaching. But the other thing, just to pay attention to in this whole thing that I read, you know, this whole passage um, is again the framing of this first act of bia in terms of Hilchot Shabbat and Hilchot Yom Tov. So I, I almost think, and Anne, maybe we could go back and do this, we should be keeping a list of all areas of halakha that we find in Ketubot. Like every day, every daf we've had so far has like two or three new subject matters that were not touched upon before. And again, I think this is part of the richness of this particular masachat. Indeed it is. And we're about to get to a new one. On Ahmed Bet, um, and coming off of the same discussion you know, or rather the ongoing discussion about the the man who marries a virgin and what day are they getting married and so on. And the marriage, how does she compare to a widow? All of this is really, you know, the essence of the Mishnah from the beginning. The Gemara here, though, mentions um, what we today colloquially call Sheva Brachot, which the Gemara calls Birkat Chatanim. And then, because it's mentioned in that context of the bride and so on, right? Again, the widow versus the virgin and so on. Now it goes into a, I would say a whole side discussion about Sheva Brachot. And I don't know, I, I have the feeling, Yordana, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, um, that this is the main discussion of Sheva Brachot. I might be wrong about that, but it is certainly one of them if it is it not is the one of them, if not the one. And it's going to so, continue on to tomorrow's stop. Tomorrow's stop will give us the actual text of the Sheva Brachot itself. It starts right. on the bottom of this stuff, but okay. Gufa. Um, Rav Nachman. So here's what happens, right? Rav Nachman says, Amarli Huna Barnatan. He says, Huna Barnatan told me, Tana, Minain le Birkat Chatanim Basara. How do we know that Sheva Brachot need to be said, Birkat Chatanim need to be said with a minion? Shneemar, and he has a verse. And the verse is here from the book of Ruth, Megillat Ruth. He took 10 men from the elders of the city and said, sit here. And they sat, meaning this is the, the presence in which they're going to get married. And lo and behold, it specifies 10 men. So it must mean that you need to have the 10 for the marriage to take place or or to be married in the presence of 10. Rabbi Abawa Marmehacha. We have another verse that says, no, no, it's not from that book in Root, that, that verse in Root. It's rather from a verse in Tehillim. Where Rabbi Abao says, it says in assemblies, in gatherings, that we bless God 
um, Hashem, who is the source of Israel, meaning the idea that there's a kahal, that there's makela, right? Makelot, that the kahal congregation has to be at least 10 men. And we've, of course, talked about how we arrive at the 10. We talked about this in the Sachat Megillah. We'll talk about it again, right? There's a Gzair Shava on another Gzair Shava to get to the number of the minion. But the idea there being that, you know, we're going to bless God when we have this idea of, you know, blessing a wedding as well. And the whole idea that there's going to be a union that please God should lead to Jewish children and so on. It's the blessing that it's the blessing itself that requires the 10. And now we have this classic Gemara exercise that says, well, if you're going to find, if you want to take Rev Nachman's approach and what is he going to do with Rabbi Abba's Pasuk? What is he with his verse? How is he going to apply it? Meaning, you don't have two verses to teach the same point. And likewise, what is Rabbi Abba'u going to do with Rav Nachman's verse, right? So, first of all, So, the Gemara says that Rav Nachman require, needs that verse to be able to derive the following. How do we know? It's kind of a, a really roundabout way of, of getting back to the answer to which verse should we use. But he says, we use that verse that Rabbi Meir understood to be uh, an indication that even the fetuses that were in their mother's wombs would at the time of Shiratayam, at the, sign, at the time of the splitting of the Red Sea, that they too joined in the singing and the rejoicing at the sea. That in the Again, the assemblies, the gatherings, right? The congregation, bless God, Hashem, the, from the source of Israel. Meaning those fetuses that are still in the source, right? Makor Yisrael. You couldn't have something more source-like, right, than the womb. So the idea that that's the ver that verse has its own application, its own meaning. And then Rav Nachman says the other verses in Ruth, at the wedding, at the end of Megillah Ruth, that's how we know the ten. Uh, that the ten are required for Birkat Chatanim. The Idach, and opposite, what about Rabbi Abba? What is he going to say for Rav Nachman's verse? Im kein, le mi beten. He says, what do you mean source? It shouldn't say source, it should say, say womb, if it means womb. My mimakor, al iske makor. And so then he understands it to mean, um, once you're talking about source, he says we're talking about the 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 source of the what does it mean to make a congregation of Israel, which is contingent upon weddings and families and so on, not literally in what, in the, in the innards of a person for about very, I'm sorry. Now we get to the point of Rabbi Abel. Rabbi Abel, Baha'i cried Rav Nachman, my Darish Bey. What is he going to say? So he says that the verse that in Megillat Ruth, where you've got 10 men there, right? Um, for the sake of their wedding, Boaz and Ruth, the idea is to make it very, very clear that the prohibition against an Ammonite marrying into B'nai Israel is only a male Ammonite, Ammoni Velo Ammonit, right? Which we've, we talked about in Yevamot, no less, right? Moavi Velo Moavit. And that we, that, um, Likewise, a Moabite, um, Moabite man, but not a Moabite woman, and the ten men are there to give sanction to this wedding, lest anybody come and cast aspersions on her background. Meaning, 
if you might have thought that he would gather just to make a blessing, right? Then why do they need to be Zakanim? Why do you have to get the Zakanim? You could just have 10 people there for the for the rejoicing of it. But the fact that he's getting the, the, the elders together, it must mean that it's a very serious matter, meaning to to take a stand on the halachic question. And what is Rav Nachman going to say? How is he going to answer this up? How is he going to answer this position of Rabbi Abal? So Rav Nachman is not going to accept this. He says, why would he gather the men in order to teach halacha? You don't need ten for the sake of teaching halacha. In milta. So the Gemara says, well, it's a matter of publicizing the halachic ruling, not forgiving the halachic ruling. Okay, the Amar leShmuel Rav Chana, Bagadita, Puk Li Be Asara, and there's another example of this kind of thing where you would have uh, a public assembly to establish something. Where Shmuel said to Rav Chana of um, Bagadita is Baghdad, right? Go and bring me an assembly of ten men, right? Why? Puk Vaitili Basara, and I will say before them, I will say this halacha before them. What's the halacha? Hamzaka Leubar Kana. Somebody who we've got a lot here going on for these fetuses. Um, somebody who transfers ownership of an object to a fetus. The fetus will acquire it, meaning if you, if you, I don't know, bequeath something or something like that to a fetus. Usually, we say that to be kona something, to acquire something, you have to do a physical act of acquisition, which obviously a fetus cannot do. But according to this view, that it, nonetheless you can be makna, you can, you know, bestow it upon the ubar on the fetus, and that will work. The hil the ubar. However, the halacha is no, no. When you transfer the ownership of an object to the fetus, the fetus does not acquire it. So the fact that, um, you know, they want to use this verse to kind of give that kind of strength. Oh, look, there's 10 people to teach this halacha. It might mean that you need the 10, but this particular halacha did not stand, um, which is, I think, you know, a, a little bit timely, shall we say, given the politics of what's going on in the United States these days um, in terms of the question of, you know, whether a fetus counts in the carpool lane or not. Okay. And then um, the it, the government goes on really to the end of the daf and on to the next one. It, but we're going to stop basically here, but except for this one little bit, pardon me. So, so the sages teach in the Breita that you say this this blessing um, in the house of the groom, meaning when at the chuppah, right? The point being Beit Chatanim, meaning at it doesn't mean literally in the house, it doesn't mean his home where he used to live, or the threshold, you know, crossing the threshold where they're going to live. It means the the home, quote unquote, that is the chuppah, that is the chuppah at the wedding. And Rabbi Yehuda says you could even do it at the time of betrothal. Now, we have talked you know, many times about the fact that betrothal in the Gemara is not the betrothal that we have today. And when we talk about Sheva Brachot or Birkat Chatanim today, we're talking about those Brachot that are recited under the Chuppah. Wow. There's, I like this stuff better than, better than yesterday's. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, Anne, you said this at the beginning of the Masachat. That's sort of like part of what Kitubot is, is it's going to take us through the process of the wedding ceremony. I feel like we're still missing a few like steps here in between. It's interesting to me that we're getting to the brachot right away. 
And some of what we want to know is found in Kiddushin, which is several Masachot away. I don't know. Yeah, I, I just like, I'm not just commenting. Like, it just, it seems a little misplaced here. Like, I understand how we landed here, but it's a little bit misplaced. Listen, it was definitely by the by. Yeah. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP and our Talking Down with Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 